The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. After last week's action-packed slate of fixtures, it was back to the familiar feeling of postponements. Coming up on the show, let it snow. Wintry weather in the south forces three WSL games to be called off. Return of the Reds. United returned to top spot with a 2-0 win over Birmingham City. Seven! City score seven past Brighton on the seventh anniversary of the team's relaunch. And we'll also be hearing from Leicester City forward Tash Flint on her prolific season so far with the promotion-chasing Foxes. I'm Lindsay Hooper. I'm joined by Kate Borsay and The Telegraph's Tom Gary. Tom, we get to speak to you now that you're fully in this new role. How's it going? Oh, very well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on the the podcast. Uh, It's going very well. It's been very busy so far. Lots of stories in the women's game, to say the least. But no, it's been very good. Thank you. Thankfully, we do still have some action to talk about, Tom. But there were some snow-enforced postponements. I don't know how many different ways you can say the same thing for a game being postponed. Bristol City against Chelsea. They cited a pitch inspection. It couldn't go ahead at Twerton Park. Arsenal against West Ham. Frozen pitch. And then Spurs against Everton. Safety reasons. It's all the same, but uh, we had three postponements, which is a bit frustrating, but at least we've got some action we can talk about. So let's crack on then with the games we did have and start at the summit where Manchester United reclaim their status after breaking down a resilient Birmingham City. The feed from Lauren James, delivery across the edge of the six-yard box and just like that, United in for the first of the game. Only just kicked off in the second half, and it's Leah Goldson again for Manchester United. Toon onto it. Toon with a shot, and it's in off of the post for Ella Toon. And United do have that second goal. Superb from Ella Toon, and Manchester United lead 2 0. There you have it. United return to the top of the table with a smart win over Birmingham, albeit Chelsea do have two games in hand. A solid first 45 from Birmingham's defence was broken down 14 seconds into the second half. Leah Galton grabbing her sixth goal of the season. Ella Toon scored her fifth of the season to ensure all three points. 2-0, it finished to United. Uh, Tom, what was your reaction to this result and, and the way that Birmingham performed as well as United in this one? Well, Birmingham were, were very resilient, for, particularly in the first half, but I think they'll be very frustrated to have conceded so quickly after half-time. I know from speaking to Carla Ward afterwards that that was the one aspect she was really disappointed with. But United were very professional. They, they could and perhaps should have won the game by more, and it was good to see them bouncing back so quickly after their first defeat of the season on, on the previous Sunday. I think it showed for me that they are here in this title race for the long haul now. They're, they're, they're not going to drop off. They're going to give... Uh, the Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City a real run for their money for the rest of the season. This game in particular, I thought, threw up the fact that United were having so much joy down the flanks. I think they primarily had joy down the left in the first half and then down the right in the second. Um, they just seem to have those sorts of players that, that can really create things. And I think Galton and James in particular... Yeah, Linz, I had that on my notes as well. Lovely cutting in from the wing. You saw that from uh, Leah Galton, didn't you, for her goal. Um, and, and her speed and the way she holds on to the ball, she's so direct. Ella Toon as well, hers in off the post. Um, and I thought exactly the, the same as you in terms of that movement. And then also there just seems to be um, a fearlessness. Well, certainly in this game anyway, by, by that attacking line from Manchester United, to not be afraid to use the space, but, but also not be afraid to just go for it as well and that's the sign of confidence for me and that's really nice to see in this team um I won't say that Manchester United are the real deal or the full deal defensively but what I will say is that attacking they look really really good at the moment for, for me Leah Galton is making a strong case to, to get a chance starting for England on the left wing with her form so far this season and what really impressed me about the weekend's result was that United were without arguably their three first choice forwards in the, in the front three with uh, with Tobin Heath out with an injury. Christian Press rested on the bench and Alicia Russo still injured as well. Mm-hmm. And yet without those three, they still looked really top class going forward. And that was very impressive. 
I'd agree with you about Birmingham. Certainly the first 45 minutes, I thought they were really compact. They were organised. They seemed to be really communicating well with each other. And and they should have been really pleased with that. But of course, a game of football is 90 minutes, not 45. And I thought in the second half that defensively they started to switch off. And I, I just wondered, Tom, whether it's about focus for 90 minutes. And at this level now in the WSL, it's harder and harder to try and eke that out of teams. But you really have to make sure that you stay on your mission. I thought Ella Toon's goal in particular, if you watch it back, you will see what I mean. Um, She recovered the ball in the box unchallenged. No one went near her. In the actual picture, as you watch it back, you'll see six defenders are around her. You can't see another red shirt. And I think it's a bit inexcusable that no one closed down that space. And I wonder if that is a focus issue. Well, don't forget as well that Birmingham are now without their best organiser at the back in Rachel Corsi, who was recalled from her loan spell to to America so uh, and when you lose somebody of that experience a Scotland international who has been a rock for them at the back yeah I think that it might take a little while for them to 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 get back that 90 minute focus that we saw uh, was so impressive on them in their clean sheets earlier in the season so there we go Manchester United top of the table Birmingham at the moment sitting in eighth but they have got two slash three games in hand on most other sides well let's move on to our next game then another dominant display from Manchester City who scored seven goals for the second week running this time against Brighton two goals for Steph Horton included in that one of those a really splendid free kick she marked her 150th WSL appearance that's a league record final score in this one City 7 Brighton 1 Tom, such a strong, attacking, assured performance from City. It's great to see them like this. Impressive fact here from Jesse Parker Humphreys and their piece up on the Offside Rule website. And that's that City averaged 1.6 goals in their first five WSL games. They've gone on to average 4.8 in their next six. And that goes to show you just what good form they're in up front. Yes, and watching that game, it was extremely hard to imagine that those two sides drew nil-nil in the reverse fixture in September, (laughs) which was a very, very different kind of 90 minutes to watch. And the other thing that I also thought was hard to imagine was that Manchester City had actually played a League Cup tie just a few days earlier that had gone to extra time. There was no sign of that fatigue whatsoever. They were completely dominant. Uh, I thought it was Chloe Kelly's best performance for Manchester City so far. And the free kick from Steph Horton. I know she scored a lot of uh, free kicks in in her career, but I thought it was probably her best yet. I don't think any goalkeeper in the game could have saved that. It was in off the underside of the bar. It was inch perfect uh, and it capped off a memorable day for her as she became the first player in the WSL to reach 150 WSL appearances. So congratulations to her. And yeah, she was superb, uh, Steph Horton, throughout the day. Lynn's uh, Tom mentioned Chloe Kelly there, three assists, one goal for her. But Caroline Weir with a brace, also um, a brilliant second goal from her, actually. You know, also another fantastic performance from her. Yeah, both of them have looked really brilliant. And I think what's happening is we're getting a few players at Manchester City now that are hitting their form in the season and just ripe piece of form as well. Because when you think about the Champions League spots and and them being up for grabs, it does look now like it's going to be between Arsenal and City. And Arsenal are a team that have dipped down on their form slightly, whilst Manchester City just keep hitting newer heights. Um, All these goals, uh, creatively, it's given them confidence. I think you can see that. Chloe Kelly single-handedly taking on players Players and changing, you know, attacks on her own. Um, I think she she got three assists, but she could have perhaps got even more in this game. Um, to have scored seven two weeks in a row as well, I think that sends out quite a statement, doesn't it, to, to everybody else. And and for Brighton, I think it asks some serious questions because they they couldn't handle any set pieces, corners, free kicks, um, and that's something that you can do on the training pitch. So I, I think that's what they need to get back to basics on. But that they have got some key personnel missing. You know, Fisk Gibbons isn't with them at the moment. Rebecca Stott, um, Geeman Lee, Victoria Williams, who have all been an integral part of that Brighton squad. So maybe that's one of the differences that you mentioned, Tom, between this game and the one back in September where they kept that clean sheet. But yeah, defensively, I don't know what you thought, but I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. 
yeah, Brighton were at times all over the place defensively, partic- particularly surprisingly at set pieces sometimes, which was, was perhaps previously where they were at their best. They need to be a little bit careful because they play more games than their nearest relegation rivals. And if, as Bristol City are certainly hoping, Matt Beard can bring in a new manager bounce for Bristol City, uh, then, then they might drag Brighton into some trouble. Those two teams meet on Saturday, which uh, I look forward to watching with, with great interest. Mm. And they weren't just celebrating on the pitch for this one, Kate. There was also a celebration off it, which I know you'll remember well. Seven year anniversary for Manchester City since the team was relaunched. And you were at the WSL launch back in 2014, weren't you? Yeah, that's right, Linz. I felt like a football junior. Little old me turning up at BT Sport for this uh, relaunch. And what happened is that uh, the WSL became two tiers. It became WSL 1 and WSL 2. And there were now big requirements, standards needed uh, to be met to be in the top league, WSL 1. And unfortunately, Donny Bells, who were infamous in women's football at that time and still are to some extent, didn't make the top tier. They didn't meet those requirements. So there was a spare place going. The controversy at the time was that it was given to Manchester City women. They got a pass straight into the top league, which um, caused a bit of upset at the time. The accusation was all based around money and whether they'd bought their way there. I chatted at the time uh, in 2014 to Steph Horton and Tony Duggan about that. If you look at other clubs that have um, strengthened their side, they're obviously putting a lot of money into their squad and um, it's not a case about money, it's about attracting good players to your team and trying to strengthen that squad and um, that's the way the the game is changing. If if we want to be professional or semi-professional, a lot of the clubs have got to try and uh, raise the bar and raise the standards and if that means bringing good quality internationals into the squad then um, so be it and I think the FA set out to try and improve the quality of the league and to do so you have to bring the best players in so in terms of Manchester City I know that people are going to be saying that we're throwing money at it but they want to do things properly and um, they don't want to do it half-heartedly it's all about being professional and I think uh, they're going about it the right way Yeah and I can tell you now it's going to be completely different I think Manchester City has a future plan and I don't think it's all of a sudden going to happen overnight and you know it's a work in process but something I'm delighted that I've come into from the start and you know the players can see the bigger picture and the staff can see the bigger picture but you know what people from the outside think of us that's up to them I think Manchester City as a football club will always have that name and people will always speak about you know them spending money and being ambitious and wanting to win the league in the first season but you know we're being realistic with ourselves and you know we want to go out there and compete and I'm not saying we don't want to win the league but I think it wouldn't be good of us to come out and just say we'd be there in the first season because it's unrealistic. But, you know, I'm happy to be a part of it, like I say, and I'm excited like you are to see how we go. Gosh, it feels like decades ago, um, but actually only seven years ago. And there's a great piece up on The Athletic now uh, where uh, Katie Wyatt, their women's football correspondent, has um, spoken about the seven-year anniversary. And she joins us now. Katie, welcome back onto the show. Hi, is everyone OK? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Katie. Really nice piece, this one. It must have been nice to write as well, to go back through history and look at some of the reasons why City decided to make a go of it in women's football, why it was so important to them. Yeah, it was. And it was a real learning experience for me because I remember the launch vaguely because I would have been in secondary school then or sort of three quarters of the way through secondary <laughs> yeah, school. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> That's thank making you. us laugh. Thank you so much for that, yeah. <laughs> well, the higher end of secondary school, so <laughs> no one has to feel that old. But um, yeah, I, I, so I do remember it vaguely, but obviously wasn't as clued in with the nuances and the specifics and everything. So it was a bit of a, a surprise for me to learn that um, when they first started, I just assumed that the whole setup was full-time as it became after a few weeks. But the fact that they originally tried to do a hybrid squad with some of the players on full-time contracts and some of them having other jobs and training in the evening and then realising very quickly that it didn't work. That was a real surprise for me to learn. And then just seeing the infrastructure that they created and the thought of um, Gavin Merkel, who is the managing director of the women's team, was talking about the day he took Steph Horton round in a 4 before to see the mud patch that would eventually become <laughs> the stadium that we've got now. And it's just really interesting to see. I don't think we have seen a football club with the ambition as publicly as City had at that time. I think that we've seen a lot of clubs invest and Chelsea in particular have really sort of built an infrastructure up around their women's club. But I think that the noises that City were making at that time to build it literally from the ground up, if we're talking about that academy stadium, was really unprecedented at that time. 
Steph Horton, you mentioned, is the one consistent as well, isn't she, through this? We heard her speaking to Kate there back in 2014 at the WSL launch. And then it comes full circle, 150th appearance for the club and she becomes um, a, a record breaker in WSL for appearances. It feels quite poetic. Yeah, definitely. It was a good time. I think, did they get seven goals as well at the weekend? Yeah, yeah there's all sevens. So yeah, There's yeah. quite a lot of um, very fitting things about it. But I think with Steph, the interesting thing was, and again, this is something that you probably won't appreciate if the fans have come into women's football on the back of the 2015 World Cup or the 2019 World Cup and Steph Horton's always been there as this, this figure that just always seems to have been there and they don't really know about her background. But for her to have been the captain at Arsenal at the time and on the brink of maybe being England captain to then come to a club in Manchester City that were going to do all of these things that we've seen women's football clubs before promise to be full-time teams. It's what we saw with the Fulham team that became the first professional team in Europe and we've seen it so many times of teams investing, going bust, pulling the plug and I think for City to come out and mention that and say, oh yeah, we're doing this and we're doing this and here's this plan and here's this thing and this is how much you're earning for a player who was very assured of themselves at Arsenal and was at a club with a very clear focus there and that had been at the women's game for such a long time and at the top of the women's game for such a long time. I think for a player like that to take that gamble of going to a club with lots of grand ambitions but with only blueprints and plans to show for it and nothing and by way of trophies or management or anything like that it was a huge risk for her but I think um, she's definitely one that's been vindicated but I just think it's interesting to maybe reflect on what she would have had to consider at the time to make a leap and just know that she might not win a trophy for a few seasons or be the most dominant team in a few seasons but she was getting an opportunity there that she wasn't going to get elsewhere. Thank you very much for your time, Katie, and we urge everyone to go and read that article. It's certainly starting to click for them lately. Um, Thanks for your time. Great. Thanks so much, everyone. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. Well, next game up, Aston Villa's new signing, Mana Iwabuchi, got a goal and an assist in her first full start for the side. Reading had the upper hand, though, until Iwabuchi's equaliser. Another goal for each side ended the game at two all. So a decent result for Villa, but overshadowed somewhat by managerial changes at the club. It was announced on Monday, Marcus Bignot, former Birmingham City women manager, has joined the side as interim manager until the end of the season. Well, we'll come on to that in a minute, Tom. Let's just discuss the game first and foremost they would have been pleased wouldn't they to walk away with a draw and such a great start for such a great player yes Iwabuchi was very impressive but uh, clearly someone with so much history in the game and can bring real experience to this this Villa side but that was a really important point for Villa because uh, Reading let's let's not forget had held Arsenal uh, the week before to a very impressive result so uh, Reading aren't one of the sides uh, down at the bottom of the table that, that Villa may necessarily have uh, planned or expected to to get points from. Um, uh, 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 it's not like they were playing Bristol City, West Ham, Spurs or, or, or Birmingham, for example. You know, Reading, Reading's a really tough test. So that's a really important point for them, bouncing back from a damaging 7-0 win uh, from the previous weekend. Mm-hmm. 7-0 de- sorry, did I say win? Sorry. Uh, from a 7-0 defeat uh, the previous weekend. Um, you say a tough test, Tom, but I mean, the recent form for Reading, you know, one win in their last 10 matches, uh, you would wonder if they're going through a little bit of a blip at the minute. And uh, They are a difficult side to, to take points off, I do agree, but I think at the moment it probably was the right time to play them. Possibly. I, I, I've seen hit and miss from Reading so far in the last uh, few months. Uh, I thought they were really outclassed against Chelsea in the 5-0 win. I watched Chelsea uh, enjoy at the Medeski Stadium just after Christmas. But then I was really impressed with Reading against Arsenal. So it, I, I, it really does, they do seem to be different uh, almost week in, week out. Depending, perhaps that depends a little bit on on fitness and availability or, or and and just the way that they, they start in games 
sometimes. It, when they fell behind early on against Chelsea, I felt some heads dropped. Mm. Uh, whereas having taken the lead against Arsenal, they seemed a lot, lot more confident. And I know that might be quite a lazy uh, assessment for me to make there, but but that first goal clearly can be quite important sometimes. And and uh, I'm not I'm not too worried about Reading's form. I I still think they are uh, by well for me they're clearly the the sixth best side in 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 the division. You've got the top four, then you come Everton, and then. And then it's Reading for me in a sort of category of their own uh, before you get to the the bottom half mm. sides who who are, who are for me are almost in their own their own battle in, in the bottom half. Uh, but Reading Reading I think will be fine. They'll turn things around uh, in no time. Uh, uh, Kelly Chambers really knows what she's doing, and there are some very experienced players there. Uh, Jess Fishlock, for example, on her day can 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 well, take games by the scruff of the Tom neck. Tom Fishlock had a really you know strong game. She played a big part in it. She grabbed the assist for Rachel Rose goal. Um, which was the um, uh, second goal for Reading. I think where where they've got to be careful is that they keep dropping points from winning positions and that must be frustrating for Kelly Chambers to see. I don't know what you think, Blinz. Yeah, I agree. And in the sense that I think Kelly Chambers will have set her own benchmark and targets for this season. I think Tom's right when he says they're sort of in a a league of their own in, in in that mid table, sort of just behind Everton, and this is where she's losing some ground, I think, in what she probably will be wanting to make up and try and push on to try and close that gap. Um, at the moment, I think we go away from this season thinking that they haven't done that yet, and and that will be disappointing. But yeah, they're not in danger of going down. They're a tough team to play for for the lower teams. I, I think it's a it's about trying to capitalise now on, on the players that they've got, especially while they've got Jess Fishlock there, because yeah. I thought she was key again in this. Um, one quick mention for Villa, because I did want to give a bit of credit for the fact that I think their recruitment is really starting to pay dividends. I mean, Iwabuchi, what a signing. And I think they're one or two signings away. If they could bring in a bit more experience still, having a really, really good team that could challenge next season more mid-table rather than towards the bottom um, and Vice as well I'll mention her because I gave her a bit of stick last week but so much better in the Villa goal as well one double save that was really impressive and and really turned it around yeah Reading should have been should have buried uh, the game really in the first half and didn't you know thanks to Villa uh, talking of good recruitment we should speak about uh, the managerial changes at the club Tom uh, so we know that Marcus Bignett uh, joins the side as interim manager when it was announced it all left us wondering what had gone on because we hadn't heard anything about Gemma Davis. Well, she stays at the club in sort of a head coach role from what I understand. What do you make of the decision here? Well, initially, it seemed quite a strange one. From the conversations that I've been able to have uh, since the, the news broke, um, the pitch has become a little bit clearer in, in, in the sense that uh, Villa, from, from what I'm told, had absolutely no intention of, of sacking Gemma Davies uh, and they very much see her in their long-term plans as their, as their long-term first-team boss for the future. Um, but uh, they, they were becoming increasingly worried after for two instances First of all, the League Cup defeat away to Bristol City, their, their relegation rival, followed by a 7-0 loss at Manchester City. And I think particularly during that 7-0 loss at Man City, there were nerves growing a little bit behind the scenes at Villa that they, they weren't yet safe from, from relegation. I think they felt they needed to do something. Uh, and, they, and, they, and as I say, they, they had no intention of, of, of sacking Gemma Davies. They really appreciate the, the great work she's done there, particularly last season, getting them promoted. But she's still only 28 years old, a very young head coach, lots to learn still. Uh, and they've obviously decided that they wanted to bring in an, an experienced uh, somebody in Marcus Bignut who has who's been around in the game for a, lot, a long time, who, who has worked previously with Enia Luko, Villa's director of women's football, and they obviously feel that uh, he can bring, just help uh, nurture the, the, the coaching staff along a little bit until the end of the season. For fans, though, there, there's, it's very hard to look at it in any other way other than Gemma Davies being demoted. She's no longer in charge now for the rest of the season. Marcus Bignot will pick the team. Marcus Bignot will be the boss. Um, and uh, well, we wait and see whether it can be a success. They probably need to get two or three wins to get over the line. I do wonder what Birmingham fans have made of this move. And not only are there some personnel in the squad that used to be Blues players, but now they've got Bignot, who managed at Birmingham City for seven years. I, I used to interview David Parker, who was the, the manager at the time, but Bignot worked 
working with him, um, which always raised eyebrows for me because I think Big Knot Preps uh, was in charge. <laughs> I've got no idea. But anyway, um, you know, he was at the club and, and was associated with it for, for many years because he'd had a spell previously as well with them. Um, and I, it must hurt a little bit if you're a Birmingham fan at the moment to see Aston Villa just snapping up all of your ex-players and now ex-managers and ex-coaching yeah, staff. But I suppose it... it, it it's kind of happened a lot, hasn't it? And, and you know, Villa, Villa don't want to be the team that gets promoted and goes straight back down again. It's not good for them and it's not a great advert for the women's game, just like the men's game when that when that happens too. So I do applaud Villa for taking that responsibility on almost. It is their responsibility to try and give this season a really good go. They don't want to go down and back up again, etc. They don't, don't want to start that sort of flip-flop thing. I thought Big Knot's quote was quite interesting and I just wonder how how much we can read into this and whether this gives us the indication of what will happen. He said, I'm delighted to be able to help at such a progressive club in women's football. It's also a great opportunity to mentor a talented young coaching group led by Gemma. So he sees himself as this mentor. But what what we're effectively saying is he's just actually going to be in charge of most things. We'll see who does the interviews. <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. so- the post-match interviews does seem to be the one still grey area. We're not entirely sure yet who will will do those. And one that the last sort of conversation I had about that, it might it seemed to be suggested that they might even end up alternating depending on 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 the game. We'll wait and see on that. But but the one aspect of this I'm really fascinated by is how Marcus Bignot's going to juggle his time with this role and his role in the England boys uh, under 18 coaching setup and his role as co-manager of National League North men's side Geisley. Now busy I know man. that Geisley's yeah, oh, very busy by the sounds of it. Uh, I'm not quite sure how anyone can juggle three roles at once when it comes, particularly when it comes to the the uh, the, the international windows that were for, for the under 18 side. But um, he, the, the guys, of course, I should stress, haven't got any games in the next few weeks. Their season's currently on pause. Uh, but but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's that doesn't sound as straightforward as, as it might initially sound when you're appointed interim manager. We'll wait and see. Well, speaking of teams that have been promoted, one team heading that way, or certainly top of the championship right now, is Leicester City. They're having a great season. And uh, earlier, Lindsay caught up with Tash Flint, the former Manchester City forward, now part of that exciting Foxes side. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Natasha, thanks very much for joining us at the Offside Rule. First time we're having you on and a delight for us it is as well. How are you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Just finished um, a good days at training. Um, Feeling good and fresh, yeah. Uh, What is it like, life at the top? Because we don't speak to many players that are top of the league. It's obviously a jostling position between you and Durham in the Championship. But at Leicester, it feels like everyone's been talking about them. Yeah, it's good, of course. Like, it's a good feeling to be at top of the league. Um, I keep saying to, like, everyone else, it's not finished yet, though. That's not where, like, we... Like, that's not... It's not the end of, like, the season yet. We've still got a lot of games to um, to play. So, it, but it's really a good feeling to be at the top, yeah. Can you give us a little bit of insight into the behind the scenes at the club? There's obviously a, a really good team set up there. We saw Emil Heskey come on board as well. But it, it looks like there are real ambitions here for, for a long-term future. Yeah, that's um, that's what one of the things was when um, I spoke to Jonathan at the start of the season. Um, he one thing you mentioned was like the club's got a lot of ambition. Um, they do want to be the top team, like they do want to be in in DSL one, and that's their aim. Um, the setup is like the setup's brilliant. Like the f- training facilities are unreal. The girls that have been brought in this year, are, like the 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 brill. Like I get on with every single one of them. It's such an easy team to be at, and every single one of us are just gelling as um, as you can see. Um, yeah, so it's a good feeling to be honest. Um, and like you said, we're top of the league, so we can't as have to complain. 
No, no complaints. I think all Leicester fans will be very happy with the job that you're doing at the moment. Uh, you mentioned those training facilities. Uh, we've seen from, from the men's game, uh, they did this unveil and, and I work in the men's game too. And I saw these incredible facilities. I wondered if you get to use some of those. Um, we actually are at the men's training ground now. So the men have just got a new training ground um, and we're actually at the old men's um, facilities now. Um, the training ground is unbelievable. We have I don't even I can't even tell you how many pitches we have. We have quite a few pitches. We have an indoor pitch. We have a big massive gym. We've got an ice bath, heat bath, um, offices, chill area, canteen for breakfast and dinner. Um, the facilities really you can't you can't exactly moan. We're playing on like carpet really. It's so good. Fantastic. The transfer window's open. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all these players listening to the podcast, thinking it sounds pretty good at Leicester at the moment. No, um, I know. <laughs> but your journey, Tash, has, has been a really interesting one. Um, you started out with Manchester City, and I actually remember watching you play for Man City because you scored a brilliant goal against Chelsea, I remember. Yeah. Um, you had about 20 or so WSL appearances, didn't you, early on? Um, yeah, I was for Man City. I was starting most games, to be honest. Um, I didn't stay. I didn't stay too long, but um, as they started to like regroup a lot of the players, obviously not. I won't get as much minutes and stuff. And to me, football, football is everything. So I, I just want to play football. Sitting on the bench is not like a thing for me. I don't think there's experience by sitting on the bench, but I just want to be playing. So. That's when I decided to move. But yeah, City was obviously City was the same as like Leicester. It's unbelievable like facilities and stuff. And it's an unbelievable club to be at. Um, but yeah. So clearly, clearly you'd had a taste of that with City and, and now you're back to, to where you were. But you had to make a brave decision in order to get back to, to this level. Um, I mean, I wondered whether anyone had ever levelled at you this similarity because I, I think there might be one there a little bit with Fran Kirby because she was she was deemed this wonder kid as well, like you were. Um, she, she sort of went away from the game for a little bit for, for various and different reasons to yourself uh, and ma managed to do that comeback. Do you feel like you're sort of on a similar road? Yeah, I do feel like I have had a big setback to be where I am now and actually I am like happy and proud of myself to be where I am now because when I did take that step down, I thought it was like, that was the time, like my end of like my career there. Cause I think I stepped a bit too far down and I got a bit, maybe a bit too comfortable starting to like enjoy the game again and like realizing, do you know what? You don't have to be like doing things other people want in. I was just doing what I wanted at the time. But yeah, I think I felt, I did at one point feel like this, Oh God, I don't think I'm going to get, get back to where I wanted to be now. But this year has just been perfect for me. I've um, sorted everything else outside of football and I just feel like, I mean, I'm on the right track now. And, and this spell that you talk about is lower down. It was National League, wasn't it, with Blackburn? And, and do you think that was the, the turning point for you getting back to where you wanted to be? Yeah, 100%. Like the National League, it's a low league, like as we probably would all like, would all think that as well. But I just wanted to find the love again for football and I've seen Blackburn were doing really well there. And um I feel like that was like the right the right opportunity for me to do is to step down and basically find the love again because I don't think if I did do that I don't think I'd be where I was today. And where you are today, top scorer in the championship. Yes, uh, well I'm currently not now. I've just been took over because our game got uh, oh have you cancelled oh. at the weekend? Yeah, our game got cancelled at the weekend. So, but yeah, that's my aim this season. Like I want to be top goal scorer. I'm going to try my best. And I'm guessing if, if if it's meant to be, it'll be. Um, but that's my aim, of course, as a striker and being top of the league with Leicester. I do want that. Um, I do want that to like come with me, yeah. And have you noticed that you're you're getting a bit more interest? And I'm sure your your agent might have been busy because you see people that can score goals are a, are a very rare commodity on a regular basis. So does it feel like obviously you've got this journey with Leicester and you'd love to get promoted with them? I'm sure you don't want to abandon it. But but do you feel like you're back amongst being talked about again? Um, yeah, of course. Like my agents always um, sending me some nice messages saying this, like this. Such a manager said this, or a certain person said that. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for like I am looking forward to the season ahead, like the rest of the season, and to obviously get up there with Leicester. Um, I do want to be back into the WSL one, and this is what I mean. I do feel like I'm in the right path right now. Um, touch wood up to now. This season's been a great season for me. Like you said, I'm top goal scorer. Well, was um, and hopefully going to be like going to be get back up there and um, give competition to the other person who's up there. But yeah, I do feel like this is the 
this is the year for me. I feel like this is the year for my football. There are not many people that I've managed to speak to this year that have benefited from this awful pandemic. But I, I feel like in, in terms of playing, you definitely have because you were furloughed from a job, weren't you, in the summer? Yeah. It meant that you could go full time. Just talk us through what, what you've managed to achieve since since then. Yeah, um, I've achieved loads. Like I said, I've realised for one big thing, I've realised um, I've realised that that's where I want to be, which is full-time football. And whilst I was working six or six at like my lab technician job, I couldn't really like get my head around like what I wanted. I was just focusing on like my main job, which was obviously my lab te- technician at the time. Um, but I think the lockdowns worked out. I think the lockdowns like been brilliant for me. Like it's given me the opportunity to go out there and full time and be able to train and be able to get like fitness back to where it should be. So the difference between you focusing fully, that's meant some weight loss and your fitness in particular? Yeah, 100%. I've lost like a lot of weight um, and I've got a lot fitter than I used to be. Like I was never the fittest of persons, but I can hands down say now like I'd easily, easily last like 90 minutes. Well, you see three 90 minutes that we played last week. Um, so I'm miles fitter now than what I used to be. And I think that's what I needed to bring to my game is fitness. Um but yeah, like I said, even that's been a massive thing for me this year. Like I brought that this year. So I'm happy with myself. Yeah. It goes to show, doesn't it? If we can expand the professional teams within the leagues, if, if one day as well, we have a WSL three to match two and one, for instance, um, that, that is how we're going to bring the, the next crop of players through. If they can just dedicate 100% of their time to it. And in your case, in point with that. Um, just to finish off, Natasha, are there any teams that Leicester refer to? I'm thinking of you Aston Villas, maybe, or your Birmingham cities, that there are teams in that top WSL uh, league. And if you're lucky enough to get there and get promoted, as I know that's the, the aim, um, where do you see yourself sitting? Um, to be honest, I don't really know. I'm not too sure. Um, obviously, we want to get up there and we don't want to get up there and not be able to compete we want to be able to get up there and compete like with the with the highest teams as well like your likes of City, Chelsea, Arsenal um we do that's our aim next year we do we don't just want to go up there and be be like scraping scraping draws or getting losses every single game so I think that's why it's been really good for us to be in WSL 2 this year and just get the feel of full-time football and just basically put everything into like a game day and everything into each day um I'm thinking of thinking of the WSL one instead of treating it like a championship just treat it like a WSL one and because I think that Leicester seem to be following the footsteps of a few different clubs I mentioned Aston Villa maybe Man City and on this podcast we've spoken about them having a seven-year anniversary uh, bringing that back down to you I mean where do you see yourself in seven years um in seven years time I'll I'm hoping to see myself obviously in WSL one and hopefully involved with England at the, at that point. Um, that's my aim. Like that's my aim. That's been my aim since I've been playing football is to play for the like the country. I've been involved in all the like the age groups, but um, I've not had anything um, for the past year or so. Um, so that's my aim to be like to be back into WSL one and be involved with England. Ash, thank you so much for sharing with us part of your journey there. I think it's given so much insight to people listening and the realities of being a footballer in WSL2. Um, and we wish Leicester all the best in their uh, in their mission to get into the WSL1. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, should we chew through a few news lines? The last time we spoke, Lindsay, uh, Hegarisa had been confirmed as the interim manager for the Lionesses for England and we understood that she was going to be in charge of the February training camp. We didn't know much more beyond that. And we know that Risa will be joined by ex-Canada international Rian Wilkinson, who'd also, by the way, applied to be Phil Neville's assistant coach. Uh, that role was vacated when uh, Rianne Skinner uh, took the job at Spurs. So that's that section of time worked out. And we also now know in terms of what happens after the Tokyo Olympics um, that Serena Weigman's current assistant in the Netherlands, Ayung Verink, is going to join her as England assistant coach. So quite a few moving parts there, Tom. Um, anything we need to sort of add into that in terms of how all these 
how all these roles are going to work together. We've got some definition, haven't we now, in terms of what happens in February and what happens after the Olympics. But what about the time in between? What about the Olympics, for example? Well, it's still all to be decided. My understanding is that uh, both Rianne Wilkinson and Hege Risa are now under contract for the next seven months until um, after the Olympic Games in August. So uh, assuming the, Olymp- the Olympic Games go ahead in, in their current schedule slot in, in the summer, it, one way or another, Hege Risa and Rianne Wilkinson will be on the coaching staff. It's just, it's just not yet clear whether Hege Risa will be there as head coach or, or as an assistant coach along with with Wilkinson. That that decision, I'm told, will be, be made uh, later this spring after the February camp, uh, after they've, FA have consulted with some of the senior players and also spoken to Risa to sort of how, see how she felt February went, as well as liaising with the the uh, the British Olympic Association as well, because at the end of the at the end of the day, it's their it's their team technically for for Tokyo. Uh, but it could be that Hega Risa is is simply stays on as as head coach. She was going to be coming in as Phil Neville's number two, uh, and Rian Wilkinson also applied for that job. And when Phil Phil Neville left, my understanding is they simply said, "Well, Rian, you were the the other outstanding candidate, so you're going to join Hega and, and come in for for this period of time in in." The the interim so that's the interim period uh, in terms of post-olympic games um, uh, and as, as you said uh, there with, with uh, Serena Wiegmann's assistant coming across from the Netherlands I think the FA will be thrilled at that because from what I'm told they wanted as many of her uh, sort of Netherlands colleagues as possible who were part of the the Euros winning side of 2017 to come across and carry on working with her because that, that winning team that that winning partnership they built and getting to the World Cup final as well, that they want that uh, that, those, that core all together yeah. for, for England's push for trophies. So it looks like it's all started to be sorted, Tom. Um, another bit of an emerging uh, news story this week was one that you've done in depth at The Telegraph and it's the calls for tiers three to six to have seasons voided. What can you tell us about that? Well, this is a very complicated, uh, ongoing Another situation. One, yeah, um, uh, it's n- never simple, but th- th- uh, th- this is uh, got, picking up quite a lot of debate across the lower levels of the women's game. Uh, listeners may know that, that tiers three to six of the women's game at the moment are all suspended. The teams aren't allowed to play or train during England's lockdown and they won't be able to resume doing so until, until after lockdown ends and in some of these cases very very few matches have been played this season um, in, in some cases in tier six there's only one match that's been played by by some teams so the prospect of them finishing the season by the current deadline of the 31st of may is is extremely unlikely um, so I, I learned a few days ago that the fa had sent a survey to every club in tiers three to six asking for their views on, on How many the next clubs steps is that, Tom? Sorry to now it it is hundreds. Uh, I was trying to do the maths earlier and I was really struggling. Um, but to give you an idea of how many uh, clubs, the vast majority of the clubs involved are in tier six. So uh, just to quickly break it down, tier three has two leagues of 12. That's the, the the Women's National League North and the Women's National League South. Then we get bigger still in, in, in tier four with four leagues, uh, all regional, North, Midlands, South, East and South West. Then we go into eight regional leagues at tier five and then we're going to 16 regional leagues at wow. tier six. Mm. It, I, 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 my best sort of maths, it was around 360, but in tier six, the number of teams per league varies so much that uh, my calculator was nearly breaking at the uh, at the maths I was doing. <laughs> but nevertheless, it is around 350, 400 teams and, um, and the huge majority are, are in tiers five and six. Now, sorry, to go back to what we were saying, so the FA of, of, of contacted them all to ask their views on what next, giving them several questions with several options of what they would prefer to do. Uh, and as of midday on Monday, uh, I, I was uh, able to see uh, through sources some of the results so far. And, and they were overwhelmingly, uh, it was weighing towards clubs saying they would prefer to, to end the season now and to declare it null and void. Now, that's not to say that everybody is happy with that. Um, but uh, certainly uh, there had been 103 responses by by lunchtime on, on Monday and 62% of four options they were given, 62% were favouring to null and void the, mm. the campaign compared to uh, 18% was the next most popular option. That was unweighted points per mm. game uh, and so forth. But there was a real clear uh, view. Now, I really stress that because there are so many teams in tiers five and six and at that level, we're talking about 
clubs with with very very different facilities to what we're familiar with looking at in the WSL. We're in some cases we're talking about clubs whose players pay subs to play the game. Um, you know, they uh, maybe the pitch they haven't got access to in the summer beyond May because of cricket seasons, or or various other reasons. They're not going to have facilities, so um, it's a very different level of football to Tier Three. Um, but yeah, it does it does seem as though the feedback they're going to give the FA is that, that things should stop. Uh, and I know the FA are very much focused on health and safety. They don't want to play any more games or, or try and finish the season unless it's deemed absolutely safe. They won't necessarily make a decision that's exactly the same as what these survey results give because at the end of the day, it will still be the FA's decision. But the survey results will very much guide the decision-making yeah, process. The people, the people that this will really impact. Um, forgive me if I'm going on a slightly long answer here, but the the people that will be really unhappy with this are are teams who have been pushing for promotion in any of the various leagues, not just this year, but also last year as well. You may remember that last year's season was declared null and void, and there was mm. no relegation and no promotion. So I know this uh, very well, Tom. Well, I know because uh, Wolves were affected. Wolves are one of the examples yeah. of a team who who I do feel very sorry for if this is to happen again because they've won every single one of their games so far. Wolves they've they've averaged a nearly a six goal winning margin in all of their games so far, and uh, they're very ambitious. They're keen to invest. They're keen to move up the pyramid. And they're still in tier four. They could face another year at that level. Another oh. example is Southampton, uh, and their story is absolutely fascinating Southampton you might recall they in 2018 applied for a license to join the championship at the same time when Man United joined the championship through a license bid and West Ham joined the the WSL Southampton's bid was unsuccessful at the time what they did instead was they said okay we're going to sign lots of young talented players some England youth internationals we're going to bring in a, a coach in Marianne Spacey who is uh, well has all her badges and it was really decorated for England players she came in as head of women's football now since that appointment in 2018 Marianne Marianne Spacey's side have not lost a single league game. They, they, uh, in her first year, they won promotion from tier five to four with a hundred percent record. Last year, they were top of the league, declared null and void. This year, they're top of the league again with a hundred percent record. Oh, that's painful. And 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 now they they could face another year yeah. stuck oh. in tier four. While Man United, who by the way, you know, were in that same process trying to get into tier two, are now top of the yeah, uh, the WSL. So you have you have to feel for them. Yeah, and and tough of a if if a side has chosen to invest, sometimes you can't make that infinite investment. So if they've got a one year two-year three-year plan that's going to be heavily impacted all right well thank you very much for that should we just run over some transfers quickly um jill scott to everton stands out for me what a great signing she's back at her old home isn't she albeit on loan Lindsay. Yes, and just off the back of me saying that Man City could do with having her in the in the squad yeah. <laughs> after that last performance, yeah. but they they've obviously considered that she she can go. She'll probably get a lot more game time as well. I would expect with Everton, so that's a good move for her. Maria Torres Dutia from Chelsea to United. That was another interesting one because she's been at Chelsea for about three years. Um, really good defender, but just wasn't getting a look in. And Casey yeah. Stone is jumped at the chance. Maren Mielder as well renewed her contract with Chelsea until June 2022. So good news. Great player, that one. Um, and then Tom, Abby McManus leaving from United to go to Spurs. A very canny signing there from Rianne Skinner. Really good recruitment for, from, from Tottenham. Yes, a, a very uh, useful acquisition for the rest of the season. Uh, and the kind of player that I think we would expect now Spurs to be targeting in future transfer windows if they are really serious about giving things a go and becoming more competitive. In, in, and they've done very well since Rianne Skinner came in. And you mentioned Jill Scott. I think that's a fantastic signing for Everton. I spoke with an agent who did not wish to be named the other day uh, who was praising Everton's uh, recent investment and he, he, in his words they used to shop at Poundland a few years ago and now they're shopping at Selfridges for their, their <laughs> WSL players but they, that. They, it, it, you can see what he means because they, they are now attracting a calibre of player um, who, who you would not have thought would have gone back to the club uh, just a few years ago when they were bottom of the yeah. table and now they, they're a real success story Harry Govan and, as well being another yeah. great example a note on Abby McManus Tom because when I was um, with the England team at the World Cup in France, because um, I was doing some work for FIFA and with, with the players. Abby just um, joined United or agreed to join United, can't remember at the time, but she was so excited and she was telling me how she's a United fan and how that's always where she wanted to be. So I was quite surprised that she was moving. 
Well, I, I, I would have been about a few months ago, but I, uh, I just think the last uh, few games... She's not been getting enough minutes. Yeah, yeah, Millie Turner and Amy Turner had been so solid at the back for Manchester United, uh, with the one exception, I suppose I should add, of the long ball over the top that saw Chelsea score their, their winning goal. With that five seconds aside, they've been almost flawless, really, for, for the last few, few weeks and months, uh, the two Turners. So um, with, with that in mind, I, I think... Uh, and, and, and Abby McMahon is still is a potential contender for you know Olympic squad England squad so with with her hopes of international football I think it was the right thing to do to get some 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 first team starts and she'll do that at Spurs and I think she'll do very well let's recap briefly the Conti Cup quarterfinal results that happened mid last week Manchester City to Chelsea four it needed extra time this game it was an absolute cracker in the end Chelsea winning uh, no thanks to an amazing goal from Sophie Ingle whenever she turns up for a goal they're always good from Sophie Ingle so yeah, Chelsea three to the semis, along with West Ham, who beat Durham 3-0. So that means that Bristol City women take on Leicester City and Chelsea take on West Ham United in the League Cup semi-finals. Also, fixtures coming up at the weekend, we hope, snow depending, uh, which we can whiz through. Um, looking at Sunday's list of fixtures, uh, there's one game on Saturday, first and foremost, Bristol City against Brighton. I know that you mentioned that one, Tom, earlier and that your interest is in this one. I just think Bristol City have to get a result. Um, if they're not going to get something from these kind of home games, then this, the, the, their season's over. So they, they really need something here. Huge, huge pressure on them. And they are buoyant at the moment. They, they're rejuvenated by Matt Beard's arrival. They're all trying to make a good impression. And um, I, I think they might pull off a surprise on Saturday. OK, then on Sunday, Chelsea against Spurs, Villa against Arsenal, Man City against West Ham and Everton against and Everton against Manchester United. Um, what takes your pick from those? Well, I'll, I'll be watching Aston Villa Arsenal on, on Sunday. Um, with Arsenal, I think now under, under significant pressure. Uh, first of all, uh, to, to, to pick up uh, an important three points after a very, very rare dropping of points for them away at Reading. That was uh, only their second draw. Uh, in nearly three years under Joe Montemiro, in, in the league anyway, uh, they, they they normally win against everybody outside of the, the title race. But uh, and also that picks my eye because, of, as we talked about earlier, uh, I want to see how how Villa get on with uh, with, with Marcus Bignot in as interim manager, and I'm fascinated by that dynamic of an interim manager alongside a, a head coach mm-hmm. and and who will speak to at, at full time. So, uh, looking forward to, to that game with with great interest on Sunday at Aston Villa. And they won't have much uh, turnaround time because there's the game on Wednesday as well for Aston Villa against Chelsea. That will officially be Marcus Bignot's first outing as the new manager with Gemma Davis in that head coach role. So we'll see what happens there. That's a 7.30 kickoff on Wednesday. Mm, I'm interested just quickly in the Everton-Manchester United game. Remember, Everton, hopefully, a little bit back to winning ways. They had a bit of a blip, but they've been better, haven't they, um, since coming back after the break. So let's see how they do against Manchester United women, uh, Everton playing at home. All right, well, that's all we've got time for uh, in this mega episode. Thank you very much for listening, if you've been doing so. And Tom, thank you very much for joining us. We should plug where people can find us, shouldn't we, Linz? We should. Now, we're on social media channels. If you use at Offside Rule Pod, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook as well, if you give us a look uh, look up there. And then you can find on our website brand new articles every single week uh, covering the world of women's football, offsiderulepodcast.com. Yeah, quick plug. Uh, there's a great piece from Ali Rampling. She spoke to Rihanna Jarrett and called her the comeback queen. Brighton's Rihanna Jarrett's come back from that ACL injury. And of course, there's always the WSL Five Things We Notice piece that goes up every week as well. Tom Gary for The Telegraph, thank you for joining us on today's show. Thank you very much for having me. Linz, thank you as ever for keeping us all company. You are welcome. We're still taking in reviews as well. Wherever you get the show, just give us a five star and a, and a comment. <laughs> yes, we take those too, please. <laughs> uh, we'll be back though, regardless, Tuesday, 2nd of February. See you then. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic.